Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is a Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 42. Let's do this. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he was a pitcher in Little League Baseball, Pat Flynn. What up? <laughs> Welcome to another SPI podcast session, session number 42. I have a great interview to share with you today, which is very, very relevant to what I've been up to lately book publishing. And that's right. I'm right in the middle of publishing a book right now for the Amazon Kindle Marketplace. This is a self-published book. uh, And I'm going through this as we speak. I'm actually looking at my desk right now and all the post-it notes that I have uh, in my outline uh, on my desk. And and in case you're interested in following along uh, with my progress of publishing a book on the Amazon Kindle platform, I'm actually documenting this entire process and sharing my thoughts along the way. So if you want to follow along, you don't have to, but if you want to follow along, maybe you're interested in publishing a book of your own or you're just curious or you're a stalker, I don't, I don't know. But you could go to patsfirstbook.com. It doesn't matter how you spell first, it's patsfirstbook.com. And that will take you to a private Facebook group where you can choose to join. There'll be a button that says join. And in less than a day, I'll approve you and you can go and join. Uh, right now, there's nearly 1,700, 1,700 other people who are in there following my progress and asking questions and offering advice because some of them have already published books on Kindle, uh, which is awesome. And, and you know, it's just a great, amazing, supportive, inspiring community. So if you're there already, awesome. If not, I would love to see you there. So again, that's Pat's firstbook.com. Now, while I go through this process, you know, and I'm really excited about it, uh, I've been picking the brains of people who have already had success in the marketplace. And I've met, I've met several. I mean, that's sort of why I'm doing this. There's so many wonderful success stories out there from people who are killing it on Amazon right now. And, and you know, just from, from a, an, a wonderful side income to their already existing jobs to some people doing it full time. Uh, one person in particular I want to mention just as a shout out, uh, Jeff Goins over at GoinsWriter.com. That's G-O-I-N-S Writer.com. He is an amazing, humble human being who has sort of uh, you know pushed me to do this, and, and I really 
am excited about it, like I said. So, you know, if you aren't following him already, you should. And I'm going to have him on a later podcast, too, to share his thoughts about the marketplace and a few other people, too. But today I have someone on who, when I was asking around, you know, I was asking, asking my Twitter followers and Facebook followers, you know, hey, who should I get to know about this industry? Who can give me some great advice? Who should I get on the podcast? And this person's name came up over and over and over again, and and he teaches this stuff, and and people rave about his methods, which is why I'm happy to have uh, Johnny Andrews here today, accompanied by his business partner Hollis. So, what's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So, let me ask you guys, just straight up, before we get into the 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 details, like what kind of success are you actually seeing with publishing books on Kindle? How, I mean, if you don't mind sharing, how much are you making, or how many books are you selling? Like, just just. I know it's a huge number, but I, you know, I'd love to hear it from from. Um, yeah, let, well, let, let me kind of steer it. In a, I'll give you the answer, but I'll steer it in a slightly different direction. Um, when you were researching your stuff for Kindle, you probably came across a lot of courses and whatnot that were published out there that were recommending that people publish that that they look for. The answer is to publish in volume, uh, to publish things like uh, that. You know, private label rights, basically. Uh, you know, books other people have written and that have mass sold and upload, you know, that way and that kind of thing and try to make it up uh, in volume. Yeah, I did see, and I so, did come across that a lot, actually. Yeah, and so one of the big, 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 big things that Hollis and I like to steer away from is the the thrust that this is that this is a business where we look at the dollar signs as the primary motivator because the way that we look at this is our goal when we create a book, uh, whether we have that ghost written, whether we do it ourselves, whether whatever, the goal is to provide as much value to the end reader as humanly freaking possible. That the book, when they buy it, it is whatever it is. It could be you know uh, vampire fiction, zombie horror. Who cares? <laughs> you know how to like you know toilet train your cat. I don't care what it is. The book is original. It is amazing, and it is specifically amazing for that person that it is best suited for. And what that does is it kind of flips the entire equation around because a lot of folks are like, oh, wow, how much money can you make? And the answer is an astronomical amount of money if you first focus on providing value. And the, and the equation really goes like this. You go to the – you provide the most value possible to the biggest market possible – more than likely, you're going to see some pretty big returns. I'm really glad you touched on that first because I have been doing the research and I have been seeing a lot of thing, things, you know, do, like doing the niche research just like you would do keyword research. But then when you find a hole, just basically fill it with something as soon as possible. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've learned that there are some things you could do, whether you provide value or not, to increase your, 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 uh, your exposure. But bottom line... I love that providing value to the end reader, and and that goes very in line with what I teach on smart passive income uh, in any sort of business model. And and I'm and I'm really glad to see that that's what you're doing on Kindle as well. That was the big shift. That that was our primary goal. Like um, I think probably the reason you know um, my name might come up and and what Hollis and I are doing now is kind of at the forefront of everyone's uh, thought process when it comes to this uh, whole method is because uh, you know. The, the the concepts that we're using, literally, I mean, it's like it's hilarious because they're it's it's so transparent, it's so white hat. We literally reject any kind of sneaky, weird, manipulative kind of stuff. Like in in the internet marketing space, 
uh, you know, where, you know, we have come from in the past where it's like all about, you know, finding the loopholes and exploiting them. Mm -hmm. And that unfortunately led to marketers creating books for money when in reality it should have been, you know, and, and unfortunately the authors don't know how to market. And so there was this weird kind of like dichotomy where the crappy books were shooting at the top because, those guys knew how to sell them, but the good books were kind of dying. And so what we flipped it around and we're like, let's find the best books possible and position them in the best way possible so that the most people can benefit from them. And it just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it really comes down to it, it, not even keywords. It's, it's about the, it's about the readers. You find pools of readers. Keywords are actually irrelevant. Really? Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on, uh, I was about to say, I'll let Do- Johnny touch on uh, the keyword concept a little later because I'm actually only going to be on here for the beginning. So I got to run to a dinner with a PR company okay. um, because of the success of these books. But, you know, that's one of the things that we look at is the if you're providing value to this marketplace, um, you know, it's not even providing value, but providing quality. Books have an inherent way that we think about them, a certain kind of quality. And uh, coming from, people wanting to do keyword research and fill a niche, they think in reports, not in books. Books entertain people. They build trust. They build rapport. There's a lot of things that can happen from a book. For instance, we figured out how to rank on Google using this. We figured out how to apply this to getting on the news and all kinds of different benefits that come outside of the direct money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know people always want to hear numbers and things like that. Uh, but you know, one of the last books that we worked on, I think it was about 10 days, 14 days, I can't remember, it ended up making about about $35,000. Actually, I did forty five in about two weeks. 45000 45, in two weeks. That's one book. From a one, one book, how much was that book selling for? Uh, four bucks. Four, that's massive volume right there. Yeah, and the, the great part about it was the way we looked at it was not that, that money is windfall because I look at it like this, is you're spending all this money on running ads and doing all these different things. You're basically flushing it down the toilet hoping that it comes back to you in the long run or now just by producing some good value up front we're getting new customers and new people exposed to our message that we're doing with these books but we're getting paid for it instead of having to go out and spend all our money on it um and advertising costs the book is the best ad you could possibly <clears throat> business which is extremely helpful and uh, and really helps us to do this so by doing that and you know always providing more um we have a lot more opportunities to not just be limited to what are the little box we've been put in for ebooks, and um, it's only growing. And now that the mass market of real readers, not just people who are out searching for things, are literally sitting in this digital library all day long, where they can press one single button and it's hooked to their credit card, and they buy books. And they'll buy one, two, three, four, five, six. They'll, they'll buy a bunch in a day. They go on these buying sprees. And you know, a fun little fact is, you know, Amazon has about 300 million credit cards on file of people who are sitting there buying books, and you can tap into that, and you're, you're looking at a really great customer base as long as you treat them, you know, correctly, and you deliver the value that a book is associated with. And then, same with Amazon, it's all based around this whole trust thing, mm-hmm. where you provide good stuff, they're going to do good stuff for you. I mean, we've even had Amazon running ads and sending emails out promoting our books because it's you know, running up the flagpole, as Johnny likes to call it. And, uh, you know, it it does do some pretty amazing things when you just shift the mentality of trying to make money from a book to what kind of money will come from a book. Mm. No, I love that. Now, what kind of books are you guys, like, are you guys just in one niche and crushing that? Or, you know, are you all over? Well, it's across multiple niches. um, But we do try to focus on ones that uh, have enough eyeballs to be worth the time. 
Um, you know, there's some very specific ones that can do well, but you obviously need to know what the back end on those are. And there's a huge, epically huge difference between fiction and nonfiction, obviously, and how you deal with that customer base. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we have scaled it from vampires to health to cooking, you know, um, a lot of different niches, all the different, you know, ranges in which they can, they can really take off in. Um, but it really comes down to the end goal of what are we trying to achieve with this book is it to sell a lot of books and Johnny has a great line that uh, he's been using a lot lately which is you're a bestseller because you're selling lots of books and you're a bestseller because you're selling a lot of books uh, <laughs> now almost he almost had it <laughs> what is it Johnny oh it's uh, you're a bestseller because you're selling a lot and you're selling a lot because you're a bestseller and it seems like a catch-22 until you're able to like leverage the natural algorithms that kind of exist within uh, that ecosystem, right. uh, you know, Amazon really is an ecosystem. You know, it's like, uh, you know, if you're in the water, you can fight it and drown, or you can go with it and float. And usually, that river is going to take you to some spectacular places. And that's really kind of what this environment is, and that's what it offers you. And so, when I came forward with what I knew earlier this year. It, I mean, it was like you could hear the record scratch, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of stopped and went, oh, dude, we didn't think about it that way. I'm like, clearly, because Amazon's beating the hell out of you, <laughs> you know, because they were literally like wiping out accounts left and right and banning people for life. And I'm like, this is going to get uglier before it gets prettier. And so I had to kind of step up and say, dudes, no, y'all doing it wrong. Here's how it goes. Right now, it sounds like. You can't just write one book. I mean, just from the sounds of it, you you can leverage so much more by by putting yourself out there more. You you, you can, can it's it's not like you're going to publish one book and it, it becomes the bestseller ultimate. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey, whatever. You know, you, it sounds like you have to put some work into it and, and and put yourself out there in multiple places. Well, yes and no. Actually, I mean, there's you're always going to have like those crazy out of the park home run kind of things. You know, mommy porn, obviously. Uh, you know, who would have saw that coming? I mean, come on now. Uh, but like the uh, you know Fifty Shades of Grey and uh, Hunger Games, Harry Potter, all those books were like these supersized mega bestsellers that there was something that it was a cultural phenomenon that caught on. And one thing that's very interesting is seeing the kind of reader base. Those people aren't necessarily like Fifty Shades of Grey. The people that are buying that right now – that's a lot of curiosity. Like you're not going to be able to – I don't think there's anybody who's going to be able to manufacture that outcome at that level again mm-hmm. or at least you know, for the foreseeable future because that was a cultural phenomenon. Right now, it's curiosity-based. It's not a real market. I mean there's a real market that exists. Um, I mean erotica is huge. It's massive. It's read by men, women, and it's always sold. It always will sell. And Fifty Shades of Grey came out and all of a sudden – because of the timing with the e-reader phenomenon, I mean, you can't see what people are reading. You don't see the cover, you know? Mm-hmm. So who cares what you have? You could have, you know, something to do with, like, you know, six dudes and a goat. Who cares? It's like, <laughs> it's on your e-reader, man. Like, no one's going to know. That's a good point, actually. Exactly. And, and so that's the kind of situation in which you're in. So it's safe now. Like, people can explore that, and it's okay. But, you know, it had Fifty Shades of Grey come out 10 years ago, never would have happened. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, it's this curiosity phenomenon, and everyone's like, wow, that's huge. And it'll get more eyeballs on that marketplace, and that marketplace will naturally grow because of it. But it's just like zombie horror or vampire horror. Like they have a natural diehard fan base. 
And then, like, you know, The Walking Dead comes out, and all of a sudden, like, you know, post-apocalyptic zombie lunacy is, like, huge. Yes. Uh, and then you get, like, uh, you know, Harry uh, – what, what is it called? Uh, whatever the twinkly vampire people were. I should know this. I do books for a living, and I can't even, can't even remember. But Twilight. Twilight, right. Yeah, so you get twinkly. the Twilight. Twinkly, yeah. <laughs> You get the Twilight thing going on, and that sucks in all these people who are like, I wonder what else is out there. And so the whole genre benefits from these spikes, but the likelihood that you'll manufacture a spike like that yourself, don't go for it. Because it, you, know, you can, unless you're really playing a long, long game, you're probably not going to hit that. And so instead what you want to do is shift your mindset – to the natural eyeballs that Hollis was talking about. Like you've got like natural readers in that genre. You've got maybe, I think John Locke might've even touched on this. If you know about him, the first dude to do the 1.5 million eBooks. I heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It was interesting. Interesting read. His book is, uh, but, uh, you shoot for the natural people that exist there anyway. And then if you get lifted up, then, you can celebrate that, but don't expect it. Expect to build a business based on existing people who like that and are looking there anyway. Right. And you said earlier about going where the eyeballs are, and you know how do you how do you make sure that when you're publishing a book for those eyes, you know, and they might not necessarily be in something that you're an expert on and that or something that you're even interested in, but you know that there's a market there from the research. You know, I I I think I remember you mentioned ghostwriters. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure the ghostwriters are providing that value for the end reader like you guys are saying? Um, it's, it can get a little difficult, but the first place you want to start is you always want to hire a ghostwriter that writes in the language of your target market. Like this goes without saying. Like one of the big problems <clears throat> was people would – you know they can get cheap articles written in the Philippines. Well, a lot of Filipinos speak very solid English, but the slang is off. Mm-hmm. Like the, a lot of the grammar is not quite right and clearly – I mean, come on, anybody's going to notice that that's not written by. And so what they would be doing is they'd, they'd, they'd get like six or seven of these people to write, you know, three or four articles each and then compile them into a book. And yes, you know, topically speaking, the information was correct and accurate, but thematically and grammatically, it was just got awful. Right. It just, and there was no central voice. And so what you do, mm-hmm. let's say you're targeting, uh, you know, uh, the American audience, which is the biggest audience out there. Uh, English speakers in America, uh, let's say, who want to lose some weight. Hey, hey there you go. There's 92, <laughs> whatever percent of the population. Um, so you target these guys. You actually have someone who has an, who has the experience in that. You, so you look for somebody with the experience in that marketplace who can write uh, correctly and will, that will put together that full book. You know, so I mean, that that's what it is. You use one person who represents the market. That's not very hard to find. I mean. It'll take a little bit of doing. I mean, it might take you know two, three days of bouncing emails back and forth. But ooh, whoop de doo, mm-hmm. you know uh, that that was the big problem. Is people were like, you know, spend the two dollars or three dollars an article, get a book written for like a hundred bucks, and I'm like, no, spend two hundred dollars, get one book written that people actually enjoy, and they might re- recommend it to their friends rather than hitting the spam button and tell and everybody emailing Amazon that your book is crap and then your account gets banned. Blah blah blah. Right. Okay, so, so actually, where do you start? I mean, I know most of my audience, most of everyone listening now might not necessarily have a big enough audience already or platform. Uh, I'm actually going through this process myself, and I'm writing a book for my specific target audience that I have on my blog. Um, so my process is going to be a little bit different since I already have some topics that I'm kind of authoritative in already. But if you don't have a platform, I mean, a lot of people are like, 
I'm not, I don't want to get into this because I don't have a platform, you know, uh, they still have a chance, obviously, like you're, oh. like you're saying, uh, but where do they, where do they start? Uh, it really starts with what they're interested in. And I would come up with maybe five or six different subjects and then check on the bestseller list in Amazon under those subjects and look at the top six books and see if their sales ranking falls somewhere between, let's call it 2000 and 20,000. Because what that indicates is that there's a natural flow of eyeballs there. Uh, now, uh, that, yeah, I guess that's kind of the long and short of it is you just, you know, if this is a subject that you're interested in and that you would be entertained reading a book someone else wrote on it, that's good enough. You don't need to be an expert. Go find an expert. There's, another, there's other ways. I mean, you can interview experts. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. You know, that's totally cool. Tons of books get uh, shot out that way. Uh, you know, you can record the you can record the interview, get it transcribed, uh, have an editor kind of break it up. Super simple. So it's like at no point in time. I mean, think about this. The, the you know the editor in chief of like or whatever they're called in the traditional publishing world uh, from like say Simon and Schuster. Mm. More than likely, that guy does not have a freaking clue about ninety percent of the books that they're shooting out on a weekly basis. Who cares? You know, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter. That's not, that's not his point. You can take a publisher model and just publish that kind of stuff and have those things ghostwritten authentically. Or you can have someone in, you can interview someone who is like, let's say you want to do a workout book or some diet or something, whatever, go to the gym, find someone who looks like they know what they're talking about, you know, six pack abs or something and go interview them about the process that they went through. Like, what do they eat? How do they sleep? What are the, what is their daily activity like? How can someone replicate their physique? Done. Then you just give them a slice, publish it yourself. Okay, so do I just write the book at that point? Or is there anything important that I have to think about specifically for Amazon before I write the book and upload it? Like, uh, I, I know, I mean, obviously based on my research, that the title is important. That's your headline. That's that's how you're going to be found. But is there anything else that's that you know is extremely important to to kind of take um, care of? Make sure you have an extremely professional cover that looks good. Um, what you, one thing you have to keep in mind is that there are – this is something like nobody ever thought of. It was hilarious. I like put this idea forth and everyone kind of stopped and went, really? I didn't even think of that. <laughs> but uh, uh, you have to keep in mind the majority of Kindles sold, like regardless of the 2011 Christmas statistics, were regular Kindles, not the Kindle Fire. So yes, Amazon might have been shipping over a million Kindles a week, but those were the grayscale. And so people are going to be buying – on those, they're not just buying on uh, iPads or Droids. So your cover <clears throat> has to communicate its message visually across both color as well as grayscale. And what happens is most people create a cover that looks horrible on grayscale. And so you end up alienating a good 80 to 90 percent of the market right out the door. Because they're buying directly from their Kindle. They're buying directly from their Kindle, and their Kindle is grayscale. And so if you take your cover and just shoot it over to Grayscale, which is you know, just a little flick of a button in whatever program you're using, and if you cannot read the subject anymore, if you cannot read the title, you need to go back and have whoever made that cover for you fix it. Mm -hmm. Big, really bold text and, and pictures, I presume, are, are you know, eye-catching, and, and not too much, obviously, because it would then kind of be counterintuitive and, and kind of get distracting, and people would overlook it, right? depends. I mean, if it's distracting, then yeah. Um, you can get away with some interesting things. I mean, it's one of those things where what's beautiful about the digital publishing world is you can test it. 
uh, it's you don't. I, I always people always ask me. It's like, hey, do we? You know, does this stuff work with like a physical book? Absolutely, totally. It's easy. However, do it digital first because you know within twenty minutes of finding out that maybe you don't have the right cover, you can upload a new one. And it maybe takes a day or two for you know the KDP people and their little minions uh, <laughs> to to you know uh, uh, to get you shuttled out there with the new cover. No big deal. But like, think about the, that process with a physical book. Okay. It'll be six weeks. You know, so you can really dial in your process, dial in your title. You know, make sure that you've got that message to market match. And I promise you, those reviews are going to re- are going to reflect it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've butchered something. I there is not a single person in Amazon who is shy of telling you. <laughs> so that's why you want to have a really good book. And the reviews are important for for selling after the book is published. The reviews are almost more important than the book itself because it's social proof. Mm-hmm. Um, people have a tendency, and I am you know I'm like this too. And kind of the way I figured a lot of this stuff out was literally just you know I borrowed my father in law's Kindle one night, and I was like, "Holy crap, is this really how it is?" Like because I'd never had one before, and I was publishing on this, and it literally changed everything as soon as I had that device in my hand. Um, but if you go through and you'll find like if you try to disengage from like the marketing brain, which is hard to do, I know. Uh, but if you just, just sort of disengage and kind of look at it as like, you know, just you as a reader, like as a buyer, like what you're looking for. And I find it's easier to do it if you go to fiction. Like I'm always looking for marketing books because I'm, I'm, I like to keep my edge kind of thing. Mm. And so I'll go into fiction and just be like, huh, what's going to catch my eye? And it's always going to be some kind of highly professional stunning cover, uh, you know, title that just delivers the message of what I'm going to be getting. And above all else, the number of reviews and like positive, like three and a half stars. I'm like, yeah, do I really want that? You know, people now, they, it's the review. People won't even download a book that much. And there's always exceptions to this rule. Uh, but people won't even download a book for free if it doesn't have reviews sometimes. So how do you, I mean, when you first publish a book, though, you, you have zero reviews. How are you going to get downloads? Just go and ask people to give you reviews. You can gift the book to someone and say, hey, read this and tell me what you think. And by the way, tell me what you think on Amazon. So unless you hate it. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I know a lot of people, I mean, I, I have a business in the iPhone app industry. And a lot of people who get into that business spend all this money and all this time creating these iPhone apps. And they put them on the App Store and they just hope. They right. just hope and nothing ever happens. Not a thing. And I know that a lot of people would or probably are doing the same thing with their Amazon books. Oh, it, absolutely. Is there anything that you could do to just to just boost your sales besides asking your parents to buy your book for you? Well, uh, there's two things. First of all, do not buy reviews ever. I'm glad you said that. Uh, do not go. There's, you know, all the Fiverr books. and <laughs> exactly like don't go there. Mechanical Turk, even though it's an Amazon company, do not buy reviews. Ever. It is awful. It's a bad, 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 bad idea. Um, Amazon's actively sniffing those things out. Because if you think about this, what Hollis was talking about earlier, the the thing with Amazon is that whole company is based around trust, consumer trust. And what says trust like a fake ass review? You know, it's like, hey, absolutely, I trust you. You five stars to the Cuisinart thing over here, too. And you're a man in this review and a woman in this one. Here you have four kids. Over here you have a dog and no kids. You know, it's like that kind of stuff was happening all the time, and people are buyers are becoming more savvy, and they'll actually check out the reviewers. And so, it's excessively important to have desperately authentic, real reviews, and let people tell you that they hate you. Really, I mean, it'll happen. 
sometimes. I mean, if you put a book out there, they'll, there won't be people who dislike your book. I mean, <gasps> like look at what happened to Fifty Shades of Grey. They're like split right down the middle. People yeah. are like, I love it. <laughs> I was actually looking at the reviews uh, yesterday for them because my wife picked it up on the Kindle. I was like, really? You got this book? And she's like, yeah, everyone else is getting it. So I wanted to see what it was all about. And there you go. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's social proof. Everybody else is doing it. I got to know if I mean, think about this. It's the typical restaurant effect. You've got two restaurants. One of them is absolutely packed to the freaking gills, and the other one's got like a dead dog in the parking lot and no cars, but they're both open. Which one are you going to be more likely to go to? Yeah, I'm not having any dead dogs near me. Clearly. Like, who needs that meat in our soup? You know. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I was looking at the reviews, and they were, they were, they were split down the middle, uh, and it was just kind of interesting well, to see how 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 mean some people were to to the author actually well that's because i mean she's at the level she's uh, she's reached i mean uh, they amazon was sending out stuff that they were the fastest books to ever hit a million sales yeah. no i don't think outsold hunger games in terms of overall volume but in the short span of time that they've been around with the buzz that it's generated mm -hmm. it's really been about like yeah they they broke a million sales just as far as i know on kindle that's not even including all the other platforms that's crazy absolutely so there's a lot of opportunity out there uh it's unholy it, it, it is absolutely insane because we are at the cusp of i mean th think about this if you could have been if you had a band and you were like say one of the first hundred bands to ever get into itunes when you know the iphone started coming out you could buy that stuff mm-hmm I mean, just think about the exposure right now. I mean, right now, like, uh, and it's funny because when Hollis went to uh, the, the the Book Expo of America, so that's like, you know, the big thing that everybody goes to, mm. um, and our publishing company was new, and we just, you know, we were like number two on the Wall Street Journal and cool stuff like that, and number 10 in Amazon, and everyone was like, yay! Um, it was funny. We actually turned down uh, an offer from the senior editor of Penguin because it just didn't make sense. You know, it's like the mainstream guys don't really have it dialed in yet so right, maybe right. soon but like it was cool because uh you know he went there and, it, and, and the and the guys at the kindle platform the, who are in charge of developing this thing uh were asking us to give them assistance because what we did they said no one had ever done like an independent publisher no one had ever done what we did ever and they were like everybody's watching you right now he's like and it was great because hollis does not what you could call dress like a publisher, neither do I. And so we could be schlepping around in sandals and absolutely no one's going to pay attention to us, which is ideal. Yeah. You know, because it's like you don't want that stuff. And so they were actually asking what we, what we would suggest they do with the platform. Like Amazon, they built it. They don't even know. So look at, I mean, we just have this overwhelming opportunity. Everybody does. Uh, and it's like if you're not taking advantage – because, I mean, what is it? Like 90, the statistics are like 98% of the world thinks they have a book in them and wants to get it out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it seems like, I mean, and I've I've looked at the process and actually helped a friend actually with the publishing process of putting it on Amazon. It was extremely easy. I had no idea it was that easy. It was almost scary how easy it is, and oh. you know, it's a lot easier than building a blog and and putting putting yourself in front of zero audience uh, as opposed to really quickly after you have a book putting it on Amazon in front of you know three hundred million potential credit cards. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's night and day. I mean, it is, it is the internet back when there were only a couple of websites and 
you know, people were getting lists of, hey, here's the new websites that came out today. Here's this one about punching dogs and this other weird <laughs> stuff. You know, and everyone's like, yay. But like, th- this is where we are right now. And I mean, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of books, but you have to, and everyone thinks, wow, wow, there's so much competition. No, there's not. There's no competition at all. And the reason I say that with the utmost conviction is because I can tell you, having come from that world, uh, you know, before I got into business and before I got into marketing, I was an artist. I mean, I've been a writer my whole life. I've been a musician my whole life. I can tell you flat out why 99% of the books die on the shelf. Even the greatest things you've ever read, you know, that have sold like the best book in the world probably has only sold two copies. And that was to the author's mother and probably their aunt. <laughs> and, you know, we're never going to hear about it because that author had no clue how to get that information in front of the, pe- the right people. Mm-hmm. And it starts by knowing who they are and then reverse engineering that process. You can have the best book, but if it doesn't get exposure, and that's what Amazon is. It's like basically it's it's like assisted exposure. It's so cool. Yeah, it's all I'm really excited to to be going through this process. And it's it's not easy to write a book. And I could outsource it, but it's it's uh, you know, this is for my audience. So I, I feel like I have to write this one. But but I guess you don't have to if you can make sure that the that the quality is good. Uh so so I know after hearing this, a lot of people are gonna you know Think of what what book is in them that they want to write and, and put on on the marketplace. What, this is the last question. You know, what are some of the most common mistakes that brand new people to the Kindle marketplace are making that you know people who are listening today can hopefully avoid? Um, well, I'll start with the big one that actually addresses what you just said, um, which isn't necessarily a mistake because I do the same thing. I'm I'm crazy too, and I like writing my own stuff, but it's an epic amount of work. One thing that you can do, and I did this with a lot of the fiction uh, that I started putting out just because you know I didn't have as much time but a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that they have to that that being an author means they wrote every word of it like I would turn your eyes toward James Patterson uh, he's the most prolific author of all time I think he made 84 million dollars or something like that last year just insane and the guy works with other authors and so one thing that I have done many many times is I will create the outline of what I want I will uh, say, okay, this is you know the story that I want to hear. This is the information. Here's all the stuff. Essentially create, almost craft an entire, like like how video gamers do, almost story like storyboard. Board. Yeah. Exactly. And then give that to an author because uh, – give that to a ghostwriter because nothing is more horrifying than a flashing cursor on a blank page. <laughs> and so I'm going to pay a guy to overcome that problem. And then they give it to me and what I'll do is literally sentence by sentence. This is just how I work. Because I work better like this, um, and you might have a different process. Maybe you enjoy doing it from the blank, flashing cursor of death. Um, but most people I have found do not. And so what I do, because if I wanted to be authentically mine, I literally take what they did, rewrite it word for word, sentence for sentence, the entire way through. And so all of a sudden, by the time I'm done and I give it to an editor, that's me. Yeah, it's your own voice at that point. Yeah, I, just, I, just, I just needed that oomph to get over that one thing. And so that is probably the biggest one is thinking that – I want to write the book, but I don't have the time or all those things. Because then what you do is you manufacture obstacles between you and success. Hmm. Don't do that. No, let's not be doing that. Because that's, you know, that's just uh, lunacy. Now, the other big one, this is probably epically large, is not looking at the audience first. Like a lot of people will write a book and they're like, okay, uh, here's the book. Here's what it's about. I'm like, cool. Who cares? Is that, you know, like you don't start with the end in mind. Like is the purpose of the book to just be a book? Is it to get bestseller status? I mean, that's easy. You can do that in 15 minutes with like, 
you know, a picture that you literally draw in your hand and take a, you know, take a snapshot of it and upload it up with 12 words and then hit your email list and say, buy my book right now and I'll give you a bonus. And you'll get like, you know, 2,000 buyers and next thing you know, you'll probably be in the top 100 and look at you, you're a bestseller, but it's meaningless. Hmm. You know, what is the point of the book? Who is it going for and what do you want them to do when they read it? Because we have the opportunity now, and this is something that the, 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 the big publishers have one of the reasons why they are dying is because they do not get this. And I think that they fight against it is that these books are more than books. They are a gateway to a much larger picture. And I was having the same conversation with uh, some extremely large names in internet marketing who were like, we're going to get on the New York times bestseller list. And I'm like, so <laughs> like, that's a foregone conclusion, dude. It's like you and all your posse can hit send and six hours later, you've sold 100,000 copies. I'm like, what then? You know, is it naturally, is the book made in such a way that it is naturally lifted up by mm-hmm. your audience and carried mm-hmm. through, you know, and carried kind of on their shoulders higher and higher and higher? I call it a buoyancy point. And this is why we test our books before we launch them. Um, and that's why, you know, when we published uh, Isabel, her book is still hanging out in the bestseller lists. Uh, you know, in the top 20, because it was manufactured to be carried by the masses and live for a long, long time without us doing anything to it. Yeah, so, so it's it's selling itself. Exactly. And you can manufacture that outcome. I'm not going to say it'll become the next Hunger Games or, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, um, but it's doing it's doing exactly what it needs to do to be what it is in that market, you know? So it's, it's, you, can, it. you should do that too. I love that buoyancy point. That, that's mm-hmm. great. And I have a co- uh, just a, f- a couple cleanup questions. You can just answer quickly. Yep. Uh, ghostwriters, where do you get them? Good ones. Um, actually colleges are pretty good. Colleges. Yeah. Yeah. Try to find some desperate kids who will do anything for six bucks. I'm completely <laughs> paying good money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, can you preview? Can you preview your book on an actual Kindle to to get the experience of what it's like before they you? Where uh, that you can download and you can pre there. There's little tabs. Uh, if you go into the back end of your Kindle publishing thing, uh-huh. you can upload the book and then upload download. So you upload the book, you download the software. And before you hit the publish button, it'll actually you can make it suck your book into the reader viewer. And you could see what it's going to look like on all the different kin- faces of Kindle. This is on your computer. Yeah. Oh, that's handy. It is very handy. And then last question, images. are Can you put images in your books? Is it smart to do so? Is there is kind of a max that you should be doing that? Um, yes, absolutely you can. Images do typically increase the perceived value of your book. However, uh, Amazon charges the authors the download rate because a lot of those Kindles have... Uh, they're, they're connecting to Wi-Fi networks. And so for like a split sort of burpee second, they're tapping into the 3G network kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's costing the author money, even though it's typically pennies. But if you have a, lar- a lot of large images, your, uh, your cost can be in the dollars. And I've read stories of guys who had like just huge images in there, like the full size kind of thing, even though you're only going to see like 72 DPI, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they had like the full, uh, what was it, like 1,200, like just this epically massive thing. <laughs> and it would like literally, they were almost losing money every time someone bought their book. And so they had to go back through and, and dumb those images down. So just remember, make sure the images are, they're still very pretty, but don't make them like 
like Playboy magazine quality. You know what I mean? Right, right. And they should still be readable in black and white. Absolutely. Very important. All right, great. I mean, I could talk to you about this for hours. There's so many things that we didn't touch on, but I, you know, I want to respect your time, and I'm, I'm sure there's more information out there to be found through you. So if people wanted to learn more about this process uh, th- through you, Johnny, and, and I don't believe Hollis is still here, but um, if he's listening to this, thank you for, for your input there at the beginning, Hollis. Uh, where should they go to, to learn more about you and what you do? Um, well, basically, there's, uh, there's two places, really. Uh, you know what? I'll just give you one. It's probably the easiest. We're building right now um, a website called publishingedu.com. That's just as exactly as it sounds, publishingedu.com. Okay. And that is going to very rapidly become the hub for uh, this kind of information in the industry and whatnot. Right now, uh, literally, we put it up uh, today. We've been, we have a course and stuff like that that we sell. Uh, but they'll, you know, you could, if you hunt around, you could probably find a link there or something. But uh, yeah, publishingedu.com. Just uh, we're going to be populating that stuff with tons of info. So if you get there and it's not done yet, welcome to the uh, cusp of a new thing. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Cool. Well, good luck with that. And I I appreciate all the great information. I'm sure everyone else does, too. And, uh, you know, of course, the inspiration as well. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Thanks, Johnny. And and thanks to the Hollis, too. Cool. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Johnny Andrews and his business partner, Hollis, who had to leave in the middle there, but that's okay. And if you're interested in any of the links that we talked about in this episode, you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 42. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 42. That'll take you to the show notes and all the links of the things we talked about in this session. And lastly, as a reminder, uh, if you are interested in following along my progress with publishing a Kindle book, you can go to Pat's firstbook.com again that's patsfirstbook.com i'd love to have you in the group just click on the join button i'll approve you in less than a day and uh, yeah join the community and if you're interested in writing a book or whatever i mean i'm, I'm happy to have you there so thank you all uh, so much for the support for the inspiration and i'll see you in the next podcast session bye Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.